Good morning, dear friends. It is good to be among you this morning, today on this third Sunday of Advent. As you have heard in the last couple of weeks, Advent is the season of waiting in the Christian church. The word Advent comes from an old Latin phrase, advenio, loosely translated to until the coming. It is a time for us to reflect as we prepare for the coming of the Christ child. With this in mind, let us turn to our first lectionary reading from the book of Isaiah, chapter 61, verses 1 through 4 and 8 through 11. The book of Isaiah can be broken down into three distinct sections. First, Isaiah warned of God's impending judgment on an unfaithful nation. And second, Isaiah spoke words to comfort God's people during their captivity in Babylon. Our reading today comes from third Isaiah, which addresses the dire situation of the Judean exiles after they returned to their devastated homeland. Listen for the word of the Lord. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and restore and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. They will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord to display his glory. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants shall be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge that they are a people whom the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My whole being shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness, as a bridegroom decks himself with a garland, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its shoots and as a garden causes what is sown in it to spring up, so the Lord will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. This passage is important for many reasons. First among those reasons for Christians, perhaps, is the fact that this is the very same passage that Jesus first preached to begin his ministry. The fact that the Messiah, a fulfillment of one promise of God, should begin his ministry preaching about the fulfillment of another of God's promises 
to return the Judeans home from the exile and to lift them up, helps us begin to perceive how it is that God acts through God's agents on earth. The Babylonian exile was a period of waiting for the Judeans, separated from their home Jerusalem for 70 years. Today's reading describes the fulfillment of the promise to release the captives and return them to Israel. That promise is fulfilled, but when they return to Jerusalem, the home which they left is no longer their home, and they must begin the process of rebuilding. Imagine returning to your homeland after 70 years only to find ruins and devastation. How quickly would your joy turn to despair? It is in this moment that the prophet speaks to comfort his people and also to give them a new mission. The Reverend Cheryl Lindsay explains that everything, everything that this prophecy predicts depends on the anointing of the person. Because the Lord has anointed me is the foundational clause to understanding the agency found in this passage. God does not simply speak restoration into existence or wave a magic wand. God empowers a person to do the work that will bring about justice and restoration. The people were returned from exile and reestablished in their ancestral and promised land. Despite that, the work of restoration was incomplete, and the work was framed in terms of the need for consolation, comfort, and justice. The Spirit will do that work, but through the person. Through the Spirit of God, the people of God perform the work of God. Through the Spirit, we become instruments as well as recipients of the good news. With this in mind, let us turn now to our reading from the book of Luke, chapter 1, verses 46b to 55, often called the Magnificat, or the Song of Mary. Remember that in the verses before this, Mary has been visited by the angel Gabriel and told she was to bear the Son of God. Mary then visits her older cousin Elizabeth, who is also pregnant by miracle. The lines before the song read, When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. In response, Mary sings, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has, fulfilled, he has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. 
Mary's song is an uninhibited, unbridled expression of joy at promises kept by God. And it echoes Hannah's song in 1 Samuel chapter 2, a song that sings, that God, that sings God's praises for God's wondrous deeds for the marginalized and downtrodden. Mary's song is a celebration of the reordering of things. The lowly are lifted up, the proud are brought down, and the hungry are fed. She says, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. Mary's song is nothing short of prophetic. Now, during college, I had the opportunity to spend a semester in Italy studying medieval depictions of Mary. I marveled time and time again at the power of these works of art to stir my heart. If you could tell from my tears earlier, I have a special thing for Mary. My favorite painting by far is the Siena Duomo altarpiece by Il Duccio called the Maestà, or Majesty depicting the enthroned Mary and child surrounded by angels and saints. The altarpiece is installed in a dark, temperature-controlled room, and only a few people at a time are allowed to view it. The moment I first saw it, I literally lost my breath, awestruck at the beauty, the delicacy of the paintbrush, the gentile, the gentle incline of her face, the radiant blue of her garment. It is a magnificent piece of art, and it's totally worth a trip to Italy just to see that painting, by the way. But I digress. I think sometimes we get caught up in our reverential imaginings of Mary, in the medieval and Renaissance depictions of an elegant lady clad in rich garments, crowned in, in gold, laden with jewels. Those images are beautiful, and they do stir the soul. Because for many people, the elevated status of the is they reflect the elevated status of the mother of God. But it's critical that while reflecting upon the song of Mary, we remember that Mary was not an elegant lady, but a poor teenage girl living on the edge of the Roman Empire. I believe that adjusting our image of her to reflect the truth of her estate transforms our understanding of her song. It highlights her prophecy, and ultimately, it reconstructs our relationship with her. Theologian and Episcopal priest Barbara Brown Taylor imagines this young girl and writes, This inexperienced and sheltered girl sings about God's blessings in her life and about God's vision of a world made right. Perhaps she got carried away. She is no longer singing the song. The song is singing her. And this teenager is transformed into an articulate, radical, and astonished prophet singing about a world in which the last have become first and the first last. Taylor says that Mary sings not just for Elizabeth and Zechariah, but for every son and daughter who thought God had forgotten the promise to be with them forever, to love them forever, to give them fresh and endless life. But just like the prophet in the book of Isaiah, Mary's prophecy has yet to come to pass. Christ has yet to be born, and his ministry and church are still many years away. There is transcendent joy in the moment of God's promise fulfilled, but there is still waiting 
that needs to be done, both waiting and preparing. So what messages do these two readings hold for us today? What do these ancient prophecies from Isaiah and Luke about God's enduring preferential treatment for the lowliest mean for us in 2020? The Advent season is the start of the church calendar year, but for most of us, our modern mindset is that December is the end of the year. And this Advent season of waiting comes at the end of a very long year of waiting. A year that has seen us face struggles unlike anything we could have ever anticipated. A year which has found many of us smack dab in the middle of the eye of the storm, frightened, lonely, overwrought with exhaustion and suffering. A year full of anxious waiting, waiting for reunions with our loved ones, waiting to return to work and school, waiting for the arrival of a vaccine and clear treatment paths, waiting for the turn to some semblance of normalcy. It has been a year full of losses, both great and small. We may not be exiled in Babylon, but I know that many of us are experiencing a kind of exile of our own. And public health experts tell us that we are headed into a long and dark night, that normalcy is not within immediate sight. But we hold a secret. We know that this is also true, that with the birth of the babe of Bethlehem comes a new light, a light that shines even in the darkest night. So what do we do? What can we do besides wait? We celebrate and we prepare. In both the stories from today, there was waiting before the moment of fulfillment of God's promise. Seventy long years of waiting to return to Jerusalem. Nine long months waiting for the birth of the baby. And then there is the work that comes afterwards. That waiting is never idle. It is a time of preparation for the work to come. In these days, we are preparing ourselves to welcome the light of the babe of Bethlehem, to allow it to illuminate our paths forward, to fill our bodies and our souls with healing light. Celebrate this light with me. Allow it to enter us, to encourage, enliven, renew us. Allow it to heal us. For there is joy to be had. Advent, Christmas, and Epiphany this year mean something different for most of us. This new church year provides us with a sense of hope and a way to experience joy. There are opportunities to rejoice in the good news of the first round of a vaccine being rolled out today, in watching our kids in their Christmas pageant, in connecting with loved ones via FaceTime or Zoom, in expressing our praise while singing carols, in making homemade gifts for our beloveds. There are moments to soak in joy. And a return to normalcy of 2019 is not possible. Nor should it be our goal, because 2020 has laid bare the inequities in our systems that have existed and been ignored for generations. So the joy of our celebrations must sustain us in the great work ahead. Work to rebuild our communities, to heal broken bodies and hearts, to heal families, 
to dismantle systems of oppression and establish systems of justice that reflect God's vision of justice and peace. Through the Spirit, we become instruments of the good news. Imagining how we are ever going to fulfill our calling to restoration and renewal is challenging, especially whilst we're still experiencing great suffering. Let us look then to our psalm for today, Psalm 126, for inspiration and strength. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouths were filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we rejoiced. Restore our fortunes, O Lord. Like the watercourses and the Negeb, may those who sow in tears reap with shouts of joy. Those who go out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, carrying their sheaves. The psalm begins with shouts of joy, but in truth, it is for joys that have passed. The Lord has done great things for us, and we rejoiced. But now, is a time of need. And the psalmist beseeches God, restore our fortunes, O Lord. May those who sow in tears reap with shouts of joy. The singer knows that there is work to be done, that the sowing must happen even in times of hardship before anyone shall come home with shouts of joy carrying their sheaves. The singer does not ask God to lift that burden, but simply to bless that work So it is fruitful that the difficult work done in sorrow may result in joy. Dennis Olson roots this joy in the confidence that God will keep God's promises. These lines connect the long litany of troubles, both ancient and contemporary, with the promises of God, which are timeless, enduring, and sustaining in every generation. They connect the sorrow and the joy, the lament and the faith-filled rejoicing. In no way do I mean to glorify suffering, nor do I believe suffering to be a prerequisite for joy. But what this passage offers to us is the assurance that our weeping, our tears, water for us a fertile ground for transformation, restoration, and renewal. It is this assurance that gives us the strength to hold fast to our belief that joy will come in the morning. The light of Christ will indwell among us, and when it does, our prayer as a people is that we will be receptive to it. We will allow it to enliven us and empower us to do the work that lays ahead of us. We will need to rely on the promise of God to give us strength and guide us on a path of righteousness. Mary received the gift of the Annunciation with a willingness and openness to the gift from God. Friends, as we wait for Christmas, as we prepare for the arrival of Christ, my invitation to you is to consider this question from from Father Richard Rohr. When the mystery of God's love breaks through into my consciousness, do I run? Or am I virgin enough to respond from my deepest, truest self and say something new, a yes that will change me forever? 
The Lord chose to come into the world through Mary because of her singular devotion to God. So friends, in this week of Advent, in this season of waiting, what can we do to be like Mary, to celebrate the great joys God has given us and prepare for the important work ahead? Amen.